Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be able to hear your word. Lord, so many people around the world are starving for your word. They want to be able to hear the living God, the one who created them, speak. Lord, it is an amazing privilege that we have here this morning. And so we pray that you may warm our hearts towards your son, Jesus Christ, as we hear him speak this morning from the pages of your word. We pray that we may accept what he says and embrace him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, who do you look for, look to for explanations about difficult matters? Who do you go to? While I was away on holidays, I've uh, gotten back. It was a very refreshing time. Uh, we went to Moreton Island in Queensland, Jill and myself. And Jill wanted to uh, go on the quad bike tour that was available on the, on the island which means that you drive this quad bike around sand dunes and get to see some of the sights while you're doing that. And we decided it was a cheaper option for us to go tandem, so one of us would sit on the back and the other person would sit up front. And because Jill was really eager, I said, well, you go ahead, you be the one that drives, and I'll sit on the back. Um, I noticed that all the other people that uh, were in the chain that we followed, it was the man on front and the woman on the back, the man's the driver, so I lost my masculinity for 30 minutes or so. But Jill was really excited about driving this bike, and, uh, and she's had no experience in the past <coughs> excuse me, in driving quad bikes. And so you sit down, and I'm like, how do you know how to drive? Who's going to explain this very difficult concept, I'm sure, to Jill, who's going to be driving me around for the next half hour? And they pop on this video. And I'm like, is that it? Is it just going to be a video demonstration? And, uh, and that's all that the information that's going to be shared with Jill about how to drive this fairly large vehicle over dangerous uh, sand dunes. And then they show the video, and then someone actually comes up and uh, talks a bit. And then, thankfully, they put you on the bike, and then they give you instructions there whilst you're on the bike, and they actually make you do a little test as to whether you can brake. Now, I don't think it was as much training as I probably would have preferred, but nonetheless, uh, Jill seemed to manage quite uh, well and was able to ride round quite rapidly uh, on sharp turns through sand dunes and between trees and fences. Uh, and at times, I was a little worried, but uh, she did well and really loved it. And so because she had had this explanation, I think, from video, but also from someone coming along and actually explaining to her, showing her on the bike what to do, where were the three brakes on it, and how to push all three brakes at the same time to come to a complete stop, uh, we were in safe hands afterwards. Now, as we have come to the Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at the woman, the Samaritan woman, and her interaction with Jesus once again. We've been slowly working through John chapter 4 and been looking at how Jesus talks to this woman who he has sat down next to at a well. And the woman has been speaking to Jesus about the best place to worship, whether it is the Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans are or whether it is in Jerusalem where the Jews worship God. And then Jesus has said to her this marvellous truth that has been described for us in verse 23, John chapter 4, verse 23, found on page 1053 of the Black Church Bibles. He says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so last time we looked at this text together, I looked at what does it mean to worship the Father in spirit and truth? 
and how that means that we are to come to God as one that we know, we come to him in truth, but also in one who our spirits are involved in our worship. We can't go through a mechanical worship towards God. We have to be actually thinking about what we're saying when we pray, when we sing, when we read the Bible, our minds should be engaged. When we're we're interacting with the Lord, our spirits must be involved. And then the woman seems to want to push the rock or the can further down the road, so to speak. She makes this interesting statement in verse 25, which we'll be studying this morning, along with verse 26, Jesus' response. So John chapter 4, verse 25, we read, The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. The woman has heard Jesus talk about God and how to worship God correctly. She's heard about this living water that Jesus gives that will produce a spring of water inside the person who trusts in God and asks Jesus for this gift and how that person will have eternal life. But then she says, I know there's a Messiah coming and he is going to be the one that explains everything to us. And I get the impression that she's saying, okay, this is all very interesting. We've been able to have a great discussion here. But really, I'm not sure you're qualified to be instructing me about these matters. Who is qualified? Well, it's the Messiah, the one called Christ, who is going to be able to explain everything to us. And so that's my first main point this morning. The woman knows the Messiah is coming and knows he will explain everything. If you want to follow my main points, they're there in the church bulletin on the third page. And the first is that the woman knows the Messiah is coming and knows he will explain everything. This woman knows that there is a Messiah and that he is to come. But who is a Messiah? Who is the Messiah? Well, Messiah is just an Old Testament word, a Hebrew word, that's been transliterated over for us, which means we've just taken it and borrowed it from the Hebrew language over into ours, and it means an anointed one. And the word Christ is exactly the same meaning, uh, but it's in the Greek language. So Messiah is Hebrew, and Christ is Greek, as you can see there in the text where it says, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. Using Messiah, Hebrew word, Christ, Greek word. And it means an anointed one. Someone who has been anointed by God, set apart for a particular work. Now, how could this woman know about the Messiah? Remembering she's not a Jew, she's a Samaritan. How does she know about the Messiah? How does she know that God is going to send a Christ into the world to save God's people? Well, she does know something of God through the Old Testament that they accept. Remember the Samaritans, they only accept the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in those five books, there is nonetheless hints that a Messiah is going to come. There's some fairly big ones, and then there's some more obscure ones. But from the big ones, uh, the first two that you could pick out that would the woman probably know fairly well about are Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Genesis chapter 3, of course, is where Adam and Eve sin, and then God makes judgment upon Adam, Eve, and Satan for their actions in Genesis chapter 3. But interestingly, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, he's talking to Satan, between you, Satan, and the woman, that's Eve, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
there in Genesis chapter 3, as God is cursing Adam, as God is cursing Eve, as God is cursing Satan, he gives this promise that a Messiah is going to come, that someone is going to come, and that person who will be descended from Eve will crush the head of Satan. The Messiah will bruise his heel in that action. He will not escape without some sort of wound. But nonetheless, he will crush the head of Satan. And so there in Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to read far into the Bible at all, you get a hint of a Messiah that is to come. And so the Samaritan woman could well have been aware of this text, Genesis chapter 3, if she'd ever picked up the Bible and tried to read it or started to hear it read aloud to her, she would have heard about this one that was to descend from Eve who would crush the head of Satan. But another text is a big text in the Old Testament, in the, in, in the, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that speaks of the Messiah that is to come. And what text is that? Well, it's Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I encourage you to turn with me there now to page 189. We just had this text read for us, but I'm going to show you uh, from a shorter reading of it this hint of the Messiah that is to come. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and I'll read from verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, page 189 of the Black Church Bibles. Verse 15, we read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me, that's like Moses, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. Here we have, way back in Deuteronomy, a promise that God would raise up a prophet who would speak the words of God to the people and explain things to them. He would tell them everything, tell them everything that God commands him. And so this early on was taken to be a messianic text, that the Messiah was going to come, this prophet would come one day, and this prophet would be a great teacher of God, that he would speak about God. And we see even in the New Testament that people are looking for this prophet amongst the Jews. In the, as the Pharisees come and question John the Baptist as to who he is, they say, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, people were looking for this prophet, this Messiah that was to come. And it's interesting how the woman describes the Messiah when he comes. He'll be one who explains everything. She knows that the Messiah is one who is going to be a prophet, who is going to speak the words of God. And so that is who she is looking for. Now, she may not have then thought that Jesus was authoritative enough to be speaking to her about worship. She knows that the Messiah is the real one to speak to us about worship. You're an interesting character that has sat down next to me by the well in the heat of the day, but ultimately we're looking for a prophet to teach us, the prophet to teach us about who God is and how we should worship him. Just like when I was there on Morton Island on holidays and I'm watching this video and thinking this is not sufficient for Jill to learn how to drive a quad bike. I think we need someone else to come and teach as well. A video is just not going to cut it. 
And that's what the woman is basically saying here in John chapter 4. Yeah, it's been good talking to you, but ultimately I want somebody else. So what does the woman then learn as she makes this statement to Jesus? What does she learn? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. The woman learns that the Messiah is Jesus and he does explain everything. The woman learns that the Messiah is Jesus and he does indeed explain everything. And we see that in verse 26 of John chapter 4. Flip with me back there, page 1053. 1053, John chapter 4, verse 26. We read, Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Jesus is telling the woman here that he is the prophet. He is the messianic prophet that was prophesied by Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He, the man sitting at this well, talking to her in the heat of the day, is the prophet who Moses predicted would come one day. This is revelatory for the woman. She has already understood that Jesus is very wise. We should not forget that. It's not like she's rejected the, the teachings of Jesus altogether. She has recognized that he is a prophet. We see that back in verse 19 of John chapter 4. John chapter 4 verse 19 we read, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. But now she finds out that Jesus is the prophet, the one who can explain all things to her. Now, why does Jesus affirm this to her here? You may say, of course he should. He should be telling everybody that he's the Christ. Well, interestingly, during Jesus' time on earth, this is the only occasion that he tells people, tells someone plainly that he is the Christ other than at his trial. This Samaritan woman, in the middle of nowhere, at a well, he, she is the one that Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah. Now, why would he reveal it to her and not to the many Jews that he's been speaking to? He's had multitudes of Jews speak to him, uh, hear him teach, and he hasn't revealed to them that he's the Messiah. Well, you've got to remember that the, the Jews had the rest of the Old Testament. They didn't just concentrate on the first five books. They had the rest of the Old Testament. And so they, of course, knew much more about the Messiah than this woman did here who only accepts the first five books of the Bible. For the Samaritans, they really had the Messiah as one who would be a great teacher. He was a teaching Messiah. Whereas the Jews understood that the Messiah would be a king as well. He would be a political Messiah. And you can see that when they start to think that Jesus is the Messiah, as the Jews are flocking to Jesus, they start to think he is the Messiah. They're wanting to make him king. They're wanting to chuck the Romans out of their country using Jesus. And so if Jesus was to reveal to them that he is the Messiah, then there would be a bit of a problem on his hands because these people would rally to him and want to go to war. They even at one point tried to make him king by force and he has to withdraw from them so that it doesn't happen. Because we've got to remember that Jesus is indeed a reigning king. He is a political Messiah, but that's not his job when he first comes to earth. His job is to be the suffering servant, the one who dies in our place. It's not to get rid of the Romans. It's the one who comes to conquer sin. And so to reveal to the Jews that he is the political Messiah would not be helpful for his purposes. Whereas here, this Samaritan woman, in an area where Jews just don't like to go, remember 
Samaria was an area where they usually like to go around it to get to another part of Israel, it's quite all right for him to reveal to this Samaritan woman that he is the Messiah. Very little danger of Samaritans rallying around him and trying to make him king by force. But nonetheless, we see the mercy of God here. This is a Samaritan woman who is a notorious sinner, as we've looked at in previous weeks. She has had five husbands, and the man she is now with is not her husband. She's living in sin, so to speak. And yet, Jesus tells her, of all the people on the earth at that point, he tells her that he is the Messiah. What mercy of God to tell a non-Jew, a non-man, a woman, so to speak, and a notorious sinner at that, the mercy of God here to talk to this woman and tell her that he is the Messiah. And not only that he is the Messiah, but the Messiah who would explain everything. Jesus hears what she says. She says in verse 25, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes he will explain everything to us. This is her expectation of the Messiah, and Jesus doesn't contradict that expectation. No, he says... I who speak to you am he. I am that Messiah and that Messiah who explains everything. I am the prophet who has come to teach people what God commands. And we've seen even in this text that Jesus is that one who explains things. He's been there talking to her about this water that would bring eternal life and about where is the right place to worship. He's been revealing her sin to her. He is indeed the prophet He is the one who has come to explain everything. So that's the woman. We see her interacting with Jesus, knowing that there is a Christ that is to come, and she then learns that uh, Jesus is that Christ, that Messiah that is to come. What about you? What are you to learn from this text this morning? Well, that brings me to my third main point. You must accept Jesus as the Messiah and listen to him explain everything. You must accept Jesus as the Messiah and listen to him explain everything. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He has been set apart by God for a particular purpose. What is that purpose? Who are anointed ones? Well, we've already seen that anointed ones include prophets. But in the Old Testament, other people were anointed. The anointed ones were kings, priests, and prophets. And Jesus indeed fulfills all those three things. Jesus is the anointed messianic king. He has been anointed by God to be king over all things. And we see in the Old Testament that it was prophesied that the Messiah would be a ruler, that the one who would come would rule over all things. And an example of that is in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, which is found on page 882. I encourage you to flip with me there. 882. We've already seen one Messianic text in Deuteronomy 18. Now we'll look at another one in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Page 882, 882. Daniel is having this great vision, and then we read in verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
Here in Daniel 7, a very key passage in the Old Testament, when you see the phrase son of man used in the New Testament to refer to Jesus, it's referring back to this passage here primarily. It's referring to this passage where one like a son of man comes before the ancient of days, comes to God himself and is given all authority. And that is what Jesus has done. He has come before the Ancient of Days and has been given all authority. He has been given a kingdom that will not pass away, that will last forever and ever and never be destroyed. And so we read in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, where it describes the authority that is being given to Jesus. It says, He, that's God, exerted in Christ a mighty power when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is the messianic king who has been granted all power. He is above every power that can be known. He is above them all. He is the ruler. But we also see that Jesus is the messianic priest. Remember, there's three main offices in the Old Testament where people were anointed. One is the king. He was anointed. An example of that would be Samuel anointing David, King David. He is anointed as king, but he is also the anointed, the Messiah, as priest. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied that a Messiah would come who would be priest. And that's in Zechariah chapter 6. Zechariah chapter 6, which is found on page 942. I encourage you to flip with me there too this morning. 942. Zechariah is an obscure book. Um, I'm not sure I'll ever preach on Zechariah, just like I'm not sure I'll ever preach on Revelation, um, because I'm not sure I uh, would be able to be clear as to what the Bible is teaching. But Zechariah does have some parts of it that are very clear, and this is one part in particular. Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12, page 942, page 942. Verse 12, we read, Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Very interesting prophecy here in Zechariah where someone would be both priest and king. No one shared those offices in the past. King David was not a priest. But this person to come, the branch, would be both king and priest. And of course we see in the New Testament that Jesus does indeed fulfill the role of priest. We were studying for quite some time the book of Hebrews and we haven't finished. One day we'll get back there. But Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 We read, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. If you are a Christian, you recognize Jesus as the Messiah who is anointed as priest over you, the high priest, which means he is the one who makes sacrifice for you. What is the sacrifice that he has made? Well, it's his own self. When he gave himself on the cross, he was making a sacrifice for your sin so that instead of the wrath of God being poured out upon you for your sin, the wrath of God was poured out on the sacrifice of himself, that he bore God's wrath. God got very angry with him there on that day at Calvary so that God would not get angry with you one day when you meet him. 
That is the sacrifice that Jesus has made. As the messianic priest, as the one who is anointed by God to make a sacrifice. And of course we do see that Jesus is not just the messianic king, the messianic priest. We also see that he is the messianic prophet. He is the anointed prophet, the Messiah who explains all things. We've seen that the woman recognises this, uh, well, knows something of this probably from Deuteronomy chapter 18. But in the New Testament, it's clearly pointed out, not just in John chapter 4, that Jesus is the prophet uh, by when he says, I am the, the Messiah to come. It's clearly made known in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Flip with me there, page 1080. 1080. 1080, Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Peter, the apostle, is speaking to a crowd of Jews who have gathered together. And he says in verse 22 of Acts chapter 3, page 1080, For Moses said, and then see if these words sound familiar, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter understands that that prophet who's spoken about in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is the servant Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. And so he does indeed explain everything. And other parts of the Bible do speak about how Jesus is one who explains everything. He's not just called the prophet and then doesn't do the job of the prophet. He does indeed explain everything. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. In the past God spoke through prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And it doesn't take much of reading of the New Testament to see that Jesus does ex indeed explain much about God. You read the Gospels, even John's Gospel itself. Great lots of speech from Jesus about who the Father is and how to approach the Father, how to worship him correctly. And we see Jesus doing this as well, explaining to people about himself. A classic example is in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, flip with me there, page 1047. Page 1047, the last passage we'll turn to this morning. 1047, Jesus has come back from the dead and has begun to appear to people and he comes to two disciples that are going along the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13, we read, Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. That's, of course, Jesus' death and uh, the fact that uh, his body is missing. Verse 15 then reads, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, 
What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What role is Jesus functioning in here? As one who explains things. He explains to his disciples there. And then in the New Testament, of course, uh, not just the Gospels, but the epistles of Paul and Peter and the other apostles, we see Jesus' words coming through. What he taught them, they then teach us by the words. And so we see the words of Christ in the pages of the New Testament. So Jesus is the Messiah, who is the king, who is the priest, and who is the prophet, who explains all things. And what mercy of God to reveal that to you today. Do you realize that many people around the world have never even heard the name Jesus and do not understand if they have heard the name Jesus, what it means that he is Christ, that he is the anointed one. Jesus did not reveal himself to everyone while he was here on earth and he does not reveal himself to everyone today. But here in this room, it has been revealed to you that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who explains all things. Now, you may not be a Samaritan. You may not be a woman. You may not be a notorious sinner. You may be those things. But Jesus has chosen to reveal that to you today, that he is the Christ. This ordinary looking book before you this morning is one that has the words of Jesus Christ in it and it explains everything that you need to know for faith in him to worship God correctly, how to be obedient to God. It is indeed sufficient. Nothing needs to be added to this book. It contains the words of Jesus who explains all things. He is the messianic prophet who has explained all things and kept it contained in the pages of the words before you this morning. What mercy of God to reveal that to you. Do you yearn for someone to explain all things to you? Just like I yearned maybe for someone to explain all things to Jill about that quad bike so that I'd be safe. Do you yearn for someone to explain all things to you? Particularly how you can be safe after death, what is the purpose of your life? Well, that person is Jesus. You only need Jesus. He is the prophet who explains all things. 
There's no need to go to the Muhammad of Islam. There's no need to go to the Joseph Smith of Mormonism. There's no need to go to the Pope and the Vatican councils. There's no need to go to Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Science. There's no need to go to Charles Russell of the Watchtowers uh, and, and the Watchtower of the JWs. There's no need to go to Ouija boards and tarot cards of the occult. There's no need to go to Ron Hubbard of Scientology. I had my, a brush with Scientology while I was on the holidays. Um, I haven't had much to do with Scientology. I've read a little bit about them. But I've never actually engaged a Scientologist. Uh, but I visited a church in uh, the city, Presbyterian Church. It's old church. I really like the pastor there. I love his preaching. And right next door is this brand spanking new building, uh, which is the headquarters of Scientology. And so after church, I had Josh and Pip with me. We wandered in, and I asked for some tracts that I could read. What is a good summary tract that they have of Scientology that I could read? And the woman there showed me a bunch of brochures, and my kids were really excited about all the different flyers that were there. And there was one with a baby on it, how to have a baby and raise it properly. And they were wanting that one, whereas I was wanting something that wasn't so relevant to parenting because uh, we don't have babies in our house at the moment. Uh, we may do in the future, but not at the moment. But nonetheless, I picked up a couple of the brochures and had a bit of a read and, and looked at their tests. They have this aptitude sort of test that you're meant to fill in. Very interesting. But that's Ron Hubbard trying to tell you about the way to eternal life. And you don't need Ron Hubbard when you've got Jesus Christ. We don't need Ron Hubbard of Scientology. You don't need Krishna of Hinduism. You don't need Buddha of Buddhism. You don't need Richard Dawkins of atheism to instruct you how to live. What is the meaning to your life? And let me tell you that all the conversations that I had with atheists, none of them can actually tell me what is the meaning of life. They say, well, you've got to make meaning of life. That's the best they can do because they know that we're just chemicals and there is no purpose ultimately if we're just chemicals bouncing off one another. The Messiah explains everything. He is the prophet who can tell you how to worship God correctly. If only more people were like this Samaritan woman here who trusted that the Messiah was coming and would explain everything. She knew the Messiah was coming and she knew he would explain everything. We'll see in later weeks what she does with response, in response to hearing that Jesus is the Messiah. But do you know that the Messiah has come and explains everything? Do you accept Jesus as the Messiah, as the Messianic King, as the Messianic Priest who has offered a sacrifice for your sins? If you only trust that Jesus Christ died for you, you can be forgiven of your sins because he is the great high priest who has made a sufficient sacrifice. Have you got the Messianic Priest, Jesus Christ, as your priest? And have you accepted Jesus as your messianic prophet, the one who explains everything? Do you dig deep into this book knowing that here are the words of Jesus and he is sufficient to tell you everything, just like this woman understood that the Messiah would know everything and explain it to her? Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the words of Jesus Christ here. Lord, we thank you that you did send him, that he is the prophet, and that he does indeed explain all things. Lord, we pray that we may know that the scriptures are sufficient. May we look, may not look to other teachers for further explanation, 
but may we always keep coming back to the Bible because there we have the words of Jesus, the one who reveals all things to us about yourself and how we are to live as your servants. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.